Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. We had two episodes last week. We had our mindfulness episode, and then we had a surprise mini Halloween episode. So we hope you guys enjoyed those. I know we got a lot of awesome feedback, um, especially for the mindfulness one, which is awesome. And again, if you guys haven't heard of Thanks Morris um, or seen Marie's Instagram page, you guys should definitely check that out because it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And this week we are honoring the AAC Awareness Month and talking about all things AAC. If you aren't familiar, if you're a parent listening or a professional listening um, that works with kids but isn't sure what AAC stands for, it's Augmentative and Alternative Communication. So this is a different means by which an individual might communicate. So AAC is implemented, and I always tell this to parents, especially when I'm starting out, it's meant to support verbal output, not replace it. So a lot of times, a lot of times this may be the individual's mode of communication, but it's really not meant a lot of times to completely just replace it. This might be used with kids with apraxia, who a lot of people that don't know them um, can't understand what they're saying. So they use this to supplement their speech in those situations. Um, or on the flip side of that, maybe it is used with a child with autism who's nonverbal and it is their main mode of communication. It could go either way. So ASHA defines AAC as all the ways we share our ideas and feelings without talking. And I thought that was really cool because they really related it to us. We use AAC all the time. We use it in our facial expressions, in our gestures, when we're texting, when we're writing something, we use it all the time because it's really anything that doesn't require our actual words. So some individuals, again, rely on it as their main mode. And Asha says multiple ways to communicate that can, that AAC is multiple ways to communicate that can supplement or compensate either temporarily or permanently for the impairment and disability patterns of individuals with severe expressive communication disorder. So it's a lot and it's a huge topic and we are truly only, only going to scratch the surface. So bear with us. Um, but we really wanted to do something a little differently and spread across the lifespan. We've talked a lot about, you know, kids and we both are more so dominantly pediatric SLPs, but um, we both have also worked with adults and I'm currently working with a lot of adults right now. So we want to make sure that we cover that as well. So AAC can be implemented with both children and adults, and we will talk about both of those things. So we urge you to do your own research, especially this month. I know Rachel was saying it's a goal of hers to um, learn more about AAC and take some courses. And I think that's awesome. I have not yet, but I know I need to. And with it being AAC awareness month, I think it's a great opportunity to start. For sure. I'm definitely trying to, um, push myself out of my comfort zone with that because yeah, I've only worked with, um, probably in the five years this is my fifth year at my elementary school. I've probably had, only three or four students mm-hmm. um, use AAC devices. So it's definitely not an area that I'm super familiar with, but I'm excited to learn more. So the first thing that we wanted to do was kind of break down AAC. 
And there's kind of two categories we can do that. So the first is aided versus unaided devices. So aided devices require physical support. So it requires an object, whether that's a GoTalk or an iPad that has an AAC app on it or a communication board or little pictures or a button you push. Those are all considered aided devices. Unaided devices rely solely on the body and the ability of the user. So sign language, um, gestures, facial expressions. I know Claire kind of wanted to dive into sign language just a little bit too. I just wanted to put a feeler out there because I listened to a podcast actually recently on baby sign and the mm -hmm. woman talked a lot about, which is something I hadn't even really considered in the past, but the woman talked a lot about how, when we are referring to sign language, it's very different than referring to ASL, which is American sign language we need to recognize that ASL is a language in itself and it's not considered an alternative or augmentative form of communication. So because those in the deaf community use ASL as their language and as their communication, um, that's just something that needs to be said. And I know baby sign is like the huge thing right now. And everybody's mm -hmm. really talking about that, especially with little, little babies um, and some toddlers. So it's just important to recognize and to respect the deaf community and to make sure that we understand the difference there. For sure. That's a very good point. So that's kind of the first section is aided versus unaided. And then the second section is low tech versus high tech devices. So this section would just fall under that aided device category because um, whether it's low tech or high tech, you're using some sort of um, manipulative or device. So for low tech, these are usually non-electronic or very, very simple electronic devices. So this is like communication boards, which can come in a couple different varieties. I typically use a book, um, which I know we've talked about on, I think our PEX episode, we mentioned that. Um, and PEX is actually another type of low tech device. And then Claire, what's a boogie board? Yeah. Oh, the boogie board. So I think they're technically made for kids. However, I'm using one with an adult right now and he loves it because his mode of communication was to write things down. Mm -hmm. Um, he is a phasic and he, verbally doesn't have a lot, but he, mm -hmm. his receptive language is very strong. So to communicate with his family, he will write things down on a notepad and it just was mm -hmm. getting really messy and mm -hmm. it was getting, um, just complicated, especially like if they were in the car or for them to try and figure out what exactly or where exactly he was writing. So right now they're trying it. So stay tuned. But, um, the boogie board is basically like it's a whiteboard, but it erases on its almost like a Etch-a-Sketch, but higher tech, I guess. It's like more advanced of an Etch-a-Sketch. Cool. So it, it has a little thing on the bottom that erases it. And then you write things and then it erases it again. So it's, it's like a dry erase board meets Etch-a-Sketch, but it's um, relatively it's like small. reusable, right? So yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So it's reusable and it has different sizes of pens that you can buy, which I think is really great for fine motor skills. So depending on um, if the adult or child is having writing difficulties, you can get like a bigger pen, like a wider grasp or a smaller mm -hmm. grasp. Um, but they're really cool. And actually one of my, one of my graduate students who is in their AAC course right now brought it up because I had never heard of it either. 
newer, but it's amazing. So, mm-hmm. uh, definitely check those out. Cause I think they are newer and I think they're meant to be like a fun thing for kids, but it can also be something really functional for communication. And then I'm also using, um, I know Rachel said books. I'm using a binder with an adult right now. And that just works better for him because he has so much that we want to put in there. And, you know, we have like the time and the dates and maps and recipes Mm -hmm. and, um, his family and where they live. And there's just so much information in there. And he's, I think, I mean, he's longer post-stroke too. So he's been collecting things over time, but a binder I think is good for adults that have a lot of information, especially that they are working on, um, a book, simplifies it. I think a lot more, especially if you're just doing pictures, but a binder is another thing that you can keep like resources and stuff like that. Quick little things that they can get to in. I love that. And I love learning new things. I'm excited about the boogie board. Yeah. Well, I'll link it for you guys. It's on Amazon. It's like 20 bucks. So it's not even, it's not expensive. And that's what we told the family, like, just try it. And if he doesn't like it, give it to the grandchildren. Like, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, those are all low tech devices. And then for high tech devices, these are usually complex electronic devices. They also permit storage and retrieval of messages, which is huge. And they also usually include a voice output. Um, I have used a go talk. Um, they have a couple different grid styles. They have one with nine pictures, um, 20 and then 32 plus, I believe, um, switches also fall, fall under this category, like the big talk, which is just a button. And then I, Claire mentioned at the beginning of this, that I have been taking some AAC classes or, um, CEUs to kind of expand my knowledge. And I'm going to talk about that at the very end, but one of the courses that I took is called an iPad for AAC. And one of the things that they talked about, they really stressed this at the beginning, is that an iPad is not an AAC device. It's the actual app that you have downloaded on it that you paid for, or they have free ones. That's the actual AAC part. So this would be like ProLoco to go, touch chat, talk, and Vox, there's a million out there, but that's the AAC part, which I think is so important because a lot of people refer to an iPad as the AAC device. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's really important to, to know that if your app, if your communication app is on the iPad, that's only used for communication because I know I've had families that have the iPad and there's like PBS kids and all these other fun things that Mm -hmm. the child learns very quickly, how to exit out of their communication block and get onto everything else. Um, There's also ways you can lock that, but I just think it's for every child and family that I've worked with, with AAC, I think it's so beneficial to just have one device for like, that's your talker. That's your voice. That is what Mm -hmm. you're using to communicate. And then maybe you have something else that you play on because if you, if you overlap those worlds, it gets, it doesn't become as uh, permanent and it doesn't become as serious that that's their way to communicate. So another one I wanted to talk about was the speech generated device, um, which, so this is when the device itself speaks for you. um, And this can be with an app or it can be eye gaze. Um, I don't know if you guys, if Rachel, have you ever seen anyone use eye gaze before? 
I have. Yeah. It's so cool. It's incredible. Like I just, I think it's the coolest thing in the world because these kids that have such physical impairments that they can't pick up the pictures or point to the iPad to activate the AAC are activating it with their eyes. And that's what's speaking for them. And I just think it's the most amazing thing in the world. I've only ever worked with two that have used it, but it was just so cool to me. And it was amazing because both were children that were a little bit older who, um, most had just thought that they wouldn't be able to communicate. And then we started using eye gaze and they were, and it was so cool. It was so much fun. Um, I also know that there's some things like head tilt switch where kids, um, have it on either side of their, or adults, I guess, um, have it on either side of their head and they can tilt their head in ways to communicate different things. And then a Mm -hmm. finger activation or joystick. So this is for people with more physical impairments, but there's so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So even if a person is considered even paralyzed, there is always a way that I feel like people are discovering to make it so that they can communicate, which is so interesting. So first we're going to get into using AAC with adults. And I, I know typically when I see SLPs talking about AAC, it's in reference to kids, but it's just as important to consider this option for adults. And I think it's something, um, that sometimes we forget, especially because I know that the adult world is smaller than the children's world. So I just wanted to throw it out there, especially Mm -hmm. for you SLPs that might work with adults now or in the future. It's important to consider it for these adults if they are post-stroke, have dementia, um, Parkinson's, ALS, Huntington's, all of that. Uh, Something else that's really interesting to consider it for is people who have trachs. So people who don't have any voice due to having a trach. And that that's something that, um, you know, maybe they're recovering. So maybe they will get their voice back. So at the time, maybe you just need to teach them some simple signs, have a communication board, but it's still always something that you need to consider when, even when working in an inpatient setting. Um, so when I worked in an acute care setting, obviously we don't have time to go through all the steps of applying for a device. We usually only see these people for a week, maybe, maybe a little more than that, but um, usually not for very long. So at our hospital, we had a standard communication board and it was just a laminated sheet of paper front and back um, that we would bring up to the floors and give the nurses and consult them how to use it. And it had a lot of the hospital terminology that they might need to ask. So like pain level, and they could point to a grid of their pain level. It had yes, no, it had toilet. Um, it had like too noisy, just things that you might need to communicate in a hospital bed. Um, a couple times, especially for those that had just had a stroke, we would have to make something a little bit more simple. So a couple of times I would just make a sheet of paper with yes, no, or hot, cold, or something just to give them something to communicate with. Because especially now these people in hospitals are alone and nobody can help them communicate and they need something, especially when they're recovering, um, because we don't want to miss out on that crucial time right after the stroke to, to start implementing those language skills. So it's very important in the inpatient setting as well. Um, more long-term I've personally seen more success with low tech, although I know that there's higher tech stuff out there. I just feel like when I'm implementing hot, 
when I try to implement high tech, the family or the significant other of the adult is usually like, whoa, that's too technical for me. Um, especially mm-hmm. if it's an older couple, usually they're not quite sure how to use the iPad or what apps to buy or how to use the apps. And it just, it gets really complicated. So, um, at least with the clients that I've seen so far, I've implemented mostly low tech and you just have to consider obviously their level of impairment for this. Their literally literacy level has been a big thing um, with one of my clients because I, he was new and he's, he has Wernicke's and he just is word salad all over the place. And like, sometimes he reads things and sometimes Mm -hmm. he can't. And so I I really have to get a good sense of what he can read because we were trying to implement that as a means of communicating, but he really struggles with that as well. So um, that's a really important thing. And then family involvement. So do they have anybody in their life that is really going to help with this, with them day to day? And um, I think there's a lot of really good apps out there too. If it is a family that is that tech savvy, um, there are some really good ones. There's also text to speech on the phone, which one of my clients is using right now. And it's amazing because he'll, he'll be thinking of something that he can't describe to us, but he'll text it out on his phone and that his phone will speak it to us. So that's really cool. It's, it's another very simple thing. We all have that on our phone. I think, I think it's a pretty, or it's a pretty easy app to download. So that's something that Mm-hmm. I honestly would consider that low tech, even though that is an app on your phone, it's a really easy app on your phone that anyone can really figure out. Um, and then don't forget also for these adults that you can implement sign. So for the same individual that I am using the boogie board with, we also have taught them some sign just for times when maybe they're in the car or on a walk or don't have time to, you know, gather the way that he needs to communicate so that he can just very quickly say that he has to go to the bathroom or very quickly say that he wants to eat or wants to go. So we've, we've taught them very simple signs, um, to communicate in situations like that. It's not his main mode, but it is, important, I think to incorporate it in that. And all of you adults as adult SLPs out there, please let us know if you have any other ideas. Um, there's obviously way more to this and way more considerations to take into account, but please, uh, let us know about any high tech that you have implemented with your adults, because I would love to hear about it. I know there, like I said, there's so many apps and things out there and I'm still learning on all of those. For sure. And like Claire said, we're just scratching the surface. I feel like we could do, I could talk forever. (laughs) I feel like we could do four more episodes just on stuff for adults and then likewise for children. And I really like the example that you gave Claire of people that are post stroke, post stroke or with trachs, like they're having difficulty if they have a passy mirror or -hmm. something like that, because that can be really challenging. Um, I, when I did acute care in my internship, we had the same kind of standard communication board with, um, simple things that they would need to communicate with Mm -hmm. also. So as far as AAC with children goes, I found this really awesome resource, which we are going to link for you guys. It was on speechandlanguagekids.com. And basically it kind of broke down the process in finding the correct device. And I feel like like this applies to both 
children and adults, but this one was more specific to children. And there's a couple of things that you guys should consider. So the first is frustration level, because that's a huge one. You don't want to introduce something and if they're unable to use it, it's just going to make them more upset. Um, or it might kind of turn them off from wanting to use that for communication. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. The next is cause and effect. So I remember when Claire and I were taking our AAC course in grad school, our teacher was talking to us about finding apps on the iPad, for an example, of cause and effect. So something like bubbles and um, your students can poke and pop all of the bubbles to understand that when they do that, something happens. Um, Fruit Ninja is another good one. Do you have any recommendations for them? Claire, you know what I mean? They're like the balloons, bubbles. Yeah. And so I actually, you know, those books that have the little poppers in them, the books yes, that I love like, those, those are actually, I've seen uh, some of the SLPs I used to work with were using that to isolate the finger point for um, mm-hmm. working with an AAC. So not an app, but it's something that creates that cause and effect like oh something happens when I poke this and when I isolate my finger like this but yeah that's a really good a really good thing to consider for sure and then another thing they included was motor skills and this is something that Claire talked about is that if they don't have those um fine-tuned fine motor skills to um poke um a icon on the iPad or a picture or whatever, then you will have to take into account how they're going to use the device, whether it's eye gaze, whether it's the head tilt, um, buttons, switches, joysticks, like Claire had mentioned. So those are kind of the three main things to take into account when you guys are trying to find a device. The next thing is to make sure that you as an SLP are comfortable using the device. I know that can take a lot of practice. Claire, I remember you saying when you were at your elementary school that you had a student with a device and you were like, I'm still trying to learn it. And it's hard to teach them how to learn it while you're trying to learn it. Always, because there's so many different systems. There's no way that an SLP, well, okay, there is, if that's all you do is AAC, but with someone with a diverse caseload, like most of us do, there's no way that you can be a hundred percent knowledgeable about every single system. But, and that's okay. So it's good to ask questions. For sure. And um, we only kind of scratched the surface with the ones that we mentioned earlier, like Pro Loco to Go and um, Quick Talk and things like that. But they are all different. And um, even coming down to like icons and placement and um, making sentence strings. I know I had mentioned earlier that you can save common phrases that you would use and things like that. And you can block some out if you're not using them and you can only allow them to use these three if that's what you're using and they all have different rules and they are hard to figure out. They are. It's not like an easy um, walk through couple directions. It takes time and I think it's really important that you, if you have it, I know that's hard for um, a lot of us because our caseloads are crazy, but it's important if you can take the time to and become comfortable with using the device because that's going to make it easier for your student or client to kind of catch on. The next is to make sure that once you know the rules is that you model that in front of the child during various tasks. So that might be what your therapy session looks like is 
them not actually using it, but you using it in front of them and demonstrating a task and engaging them that way and teaching them just like you would um, if you had a preschool student and you're teaching the word go, you model it in front of them a million different times in a couple different ways and hope that they catch on. That's kind of the same for AAC. So that's kind of the next step that they suggested. And then just to make sure that you're encouraging those attempts and of course, providing that reinforcement as they're doing it. And like Claire said earlier, you have to make sure that you have that device present at all times. That's usually where I find the biggest disconnect with my families and where we have the hardest time kind of generalizing that is if you're using the iPad or the GoTalk or a communication board as their mode of communication and as their voice, you have to have it with you at all times. So Claire gave a really good example of having games on the iPad, which is great. However, if they need to communicate their needs and wants, it's not ideal that they're switching in between apps or this game or whatever. So the iPad or the device should really be used just for that, which is their voice. And make sure you have it present all of the times. Um, the last thing is just kind of training the family on how to use it, making sure they're familiar with the same goals that you guys are working on. Um, and I know we're going to dive into that a little bit later too, so. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So next, we really wanted to give you a breakdown of the types of words and the types of vocabulary that you can be implementing or start implementing when you, you are beginning with an AAC device. So SLPs, I'm sure you've heard, but um, for parents that don't know, we'll go into it a little bit deeper, but core versus fringe vocabulary. So this is obviously applicable for both adults and children. The biggest difference between core and fringe for me that makes me learn it the best, I guess, is that core is the higher frequency words. So they're the most common words that we use all the time. Like I think about how many times a day you say I, um, and then fringe refers to vocab that is more specific to the person situation or environment. So these are things that are going to be, um, something that you can't use all the time. So like juice. Okay. You can use it when you're drinking juice, but, or, or maybe when you're talking about your favorite juice, but that's really the only time that you're going to use it. So, um, core is those words that are learned first. So think about baby sign again, going back, you really teach those more all done go those higher frequency words that can be used in a variety of situations and to mean a variety of different things. It gives the child or the client, whoever it is more power because they can say things in multiple different environments. So along with that, eat, yes, no, all of those would be considered the core words and they're just more flexible. Whereas the fringe again, they're just a little bit less flexible because they're more specific to what you're actually doing. So let's say you're setting up a pumpkin themed activity for the next couple of weeks. And uh, the fringe words you could utilize for this would be pumpkin, gourd, seed, 
again, these are typically nouns because they are specific to what you're actually doing. Um, but you would still in this activity use core words. You could put, I want more done go. And then the way that you would build sentences is by combining these core and fringe words. So you could say, I want more pumpkin or I see seeds. So it's really important to use both of these types of words when you are facilitating AAC. Um, however, it's usually recommended that you start with core because again, those can be used more frequently and in a variety of situations and it can build on your fringe. So you've got, if you've got the core, they can say they want more, they can say that they're done. Then you start adding words onto it. And that's how you increase their overall vocabulary, their overall utterances. So it's helpful to keep vocabulary, also core vocabulary in static positions. And this means in positions that don't move. So you have your home screen or your home book or whatever it is that is kind of their place where they have their main array of vocabulary. And then when you go to a different page on either the app or the book, those core words like want and more and done are all going to be in the same position, but then there's going to be new words like the pumpkin and the seed on different parts. So I've seen it done a couple of different ways. I've seen it where um, SLPs will color code as well. So their color, the color of the core words will be like a highlighted color to stand out against it, um, just to kind of draw the child's eyes to those. So I've seen it done like that. I, I don't necessarily know. Um, I think for learning purposes, that's really good, but eventually you probably don't necessarily need the color coordination. It's more just to teach that motor movement of where all of those vocabulary icons are. Um, yeah. Anything else about that? I don't I think like so. That. The next, yeah. The next thing that I was going to say, which kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying was just yeah. the importance of that family training or, you know, carry over at home and making sure that teachers are on board with what you're um, going over. Because I had an experience a couple of years ago where I was using a device and we were just, we had just started. So we were working on those um, core words <clears throat> and just requesting more or all done. And I had a teacher tell me that more like, wasn't it? Well, that's not a sentence. And like, yes, I understand. But also you have, it's like a ladder, right? So you have to climb up the ladder to get yes. to the end result, which is a, um, a sentence. So making sure that parents understand that first you're going to start with single words and then you're going to move to two word phrases. So maybe Claire, you gave the example of juice. So maybe in the beginning, we're just doing more and more and more and more, and we're requesting juice that way. Well, then maybe we do more juice because we add that fringe word in. So now we have two words. And then maybe we go back and we add some core words like I want more juice. Now we have a four word sentence. So I think that's really important because there can be a disconnect. And I've had the same thing with family thinking, well, they're not really talking or they're not getting a lot out of it or something like that. So that part, that portion with that family training and teacher training is super, super important. And I love that analogy of it's a ladder. It's so true. And that's true with speech too. You don't just start by producing five words. You start at one. Right. And I think that's 
kind of where the breakdown is when it comes to teachers and families is if maybe the child's already in second or third grade when they get this AAC device. So they want to start, you know, age appropriate where they are, but really we're, we got to start from the bottom. So you really need to start where the child is at. And we'll say that over and over again. Um, the other thing we wanted to mention was, options on getting AAC devices. This is not the fun part. Um, the fun part is having the AAC device and implementing it and using it and seeing the child be able to communicate with it. Um, the actual process of getting an AAC device is not the best. Um, however, yeah, it's awful. There are options though. So (laughs) Obviously insurance, which you should check with first, a lot of times, uh, Medicaid will, or Medicare will cover some sort of device. Even if they don't cover the whole thing, a lot of times they will maybe just cover the application and the family has to be in charge of getting the iPad or something like that, but always check with the insurance first, because you're not sure, especially if it's a medical necessity, if it's deemed as a medical necessity, because they are not able to communicate with their voice this might be something that they will cover. Um, The next is a school system. So that goes along the lines of educational-based necessity, which is also part of the whole legal system. If if something is based on educational necessity, the school has to provide it for the child. So check with the school. Um, And then there's lots of grants out there, so many that it's overwhelming talk with your speech therapist because they, so parents talk with your SLP because we will be able to sift through them probably a little bit quicker because if you just go on, there's just so many, it overwhelms me. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's grants for autism. There's grants for apraxia. There's grants for everything in between. And a lot of times they will provide you with both the system and the iPad or whatever system it is, um, a Dynavox or whatever it is that you're looking for, they'll provide it for you. So just make sure you check into that before. I know I've had some families that, um, just aren't super patient and they just want to get it. So they just do it. And that's great. But if it's something that can be paid for and doesn't have to come out of your pocket, that would be really nice too. Um, a lot, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, I was just going to say going off of the school system one, I know like my specific school district doesn't supply devices unless they're in like a self-contained, um, Mm -hmm. severe multiple impairments classroom, something like that. However, we have a county organization that does provide to our school district. So you basically just have to reach out to this county representative, kind of say what device you're interested in. um, And then they loan it out to you, I think for Mm -hmm. like six weeks, and then you can keep checking it out and keep checking it out. Um, It's not like a library book where it has to be back. And because that doesn't really make sense, right? If they're getting used to it, they would need to keep it. And another thing is, lending libraries. So I know a lot of universities in Michigan have lending libraries specifically, like I've used Central Michigan's and they even have um, just like outside of the bubble of AAC, they have different assessments. So say your school district doesn't have the test of pragmatic language and you really think that would be appropriate for an evaluation. They have a lending library where you can submit and they will send it to you and you keep it checked out for two weeks and then you send it back. So definitely look into resources like that because those are awesome too. Yes. With the County too. That's such a good point. So when I worked, when I lived in Toledo, Ohio, Toledo has mm-hmm. board of developmental disabilities that would give scholarships to families to purchase. So yes, look at your County's developmental disabilities 
uh, system, whatever they have it, some, it, they have something in place. Um, and a lot of those organizations will help you. And then AAC companies in themselves will actually allow you to trial devices so that you can collect data on the device that you're applying for, which is huge because then you have specific proof that, okay, this is what they did without the device. This is what they're doing with the device. So we did that a lot in outpatient. I'm honestly not sure how it would work in a school, Rachel, because we would always just have our AAC reps send. We had a relationship with a bunch of different, Mm -hmm. like five different AAC reps from different companies. And we would contact them. They would come in, give us the device to utilize for one, two months so that we could collect our Mm -hmm. data. And then they would help us with the application process. Um, and I think that might be specific to like an outpatient setting. I don't know how it would work with a school. Yeah. That's I've never heard of that. That's amazing. And it's benefiting them and it's benefiting you because you get to use this like new, um, I'm sure a very expensive device. So yeah, exactly. Weird. And and the family doesn't get to take it home or anything, but mm-hmm. we keep it at the clinic and we use it when they are in their sessions so that we have a solid like six weeks of data that mm-hmm. we can account for. And again, that just makes it, I think gives you a leg up when you're applying because you have specific data to the specific device you're asking for, which is really cool. And then, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. ahead. Nope. You're good. Um, go ahead. <laughs> That awkward moment where we're like, who should go first? (laughs) Um, I was just going to mention again about the county organization is um, I specifically used a GoTalk through them. And for those of you that don't know what a GoTalk is, is you've probably seen it. It's like a green grid device and you can slide in like a paper um, communication board. But the cool thing about the GoTalk is um, say you can record whatever the button says. So say for the go button, you press and you record your actual voice saying go. And then whenever they push it, it says go. But the county organization that I worked with also printed off huge posters. So those could be used in the classroom, the hallways, the gym, all of those kind of common places that your students would be. So definitely check out those organizations because they have a lot of, um, materials that are completely free for you to use. And that's definitely worth looking into. Nice. Yeah. The last thing, I guess I just wanted to make sure you guys knew the medical necessity thing, which I kind of already said, but, um, if you're working in an outpatient setting and you're applying to insurance, especially that's what they're looking for is based on medical necessity. So you need to make sure you're wording your application in that sense. Um, the wording is everything I have found. I feel like if you forget a thing here or there, or you forget any of the diagnosis codes, you've just got to be very, very thorough and very explicit and detailed in what exactly this AAC device is providing and what, how it will negatively impact their life if they don't have it. Um, there's just a lot of different things. And most insurance companies will give you like the application to fill out that's like a template or something, but just make sure that you really put mm-hmm. the time into it because they're picky about it. It's, it's a hard process. Yeah, for sure. So the last thing that I just wanted to cover Um, would be a couple of professional development or CEU courses specifically related to AAC that I took. Um, I do a lot of my CEUs on speechpathology.com. So these three specifically that I'm just going to talk about super quick were on there, but they did have a ton. 
So the first one that I did was called Back to the Basics, Low-Tech AAC Options and Strategies for the Classroom, which I like because it's specifically related to kind of an elementary setting. But the one amazing takeaway that I had from this episode, they said in the very beginning, and it was that they took a look at this research study to see whether or not AAC helped to increase verbal communication. So this is something Claire mentioned in the beginning of our episode is that people frequently think that AAC is replacing their voice. But like we've talked about throughout this episode, that's not the case. And what they found in the study was that aided AAC devices usually decreases that frustration that they're having because they can't communicate and increases verbal output. So that was awesome. That's awesome. I love like a good research study that can back up what you're doing. I was going to say, yeah, because that's like a belief that we have, but then to see it actually in writing as something proven goes a long way. For sure. The next one is um, an iPad for AAC, what you need to know. And I kind of touched on this, but she talks about how an iPad isn't the actual AAC device and then goes over some apps that are the AAC devices. She also talks about a ton of different settings on the iPad that you can use, like Claire had mentioned, like locking the screen so they can't quick swipe over to like YouTube or something like that. So that's super helpful if you guys are interested in that. And the last one was called case studies in AAC, which I thought was so cool. They give you a case study and then present different options for AAC. And it's kind of like a collaborative thing. I like that because it was relatable to real life, right? You're presented with a client or a student that has a need for AAC and you kind of have to figure out where to go from there. So that was really cool. But they had a ton of options. Speechpathology.com is obviously not the only place you can go for CEUs. Um, So I encourage you guys to look into that this month because it is AAC awareness. And there's just so much to learn. I'm very excited about this episode. (laughs) I know there's just... There's just so much. And I feel like I, I feel like I know a lot, but I also still don't know a lot because we still are learning and Rachel and I learn every time we do a podcast because we learn things from each other and from what we're reading. So, um, yeah, this was a really good one and a learning one for us. So that means, cause we're done. It's time for the giveaway. We're done. Yay. Again, another giveaway, no drum roll. <laughs> right. I I think about it before every episode that we're going to do a giveaway and I'm like, you know, how would I actually go about this? So I can pretend I'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had tons of people enter our quick little two day flash giveaway, which we're super pumped about. Um, Show My Smile has been so awesome uh, with providing us with masks to give away and like the magic spray, anti-fog spray, which is like the only thing that I have found that truly works with the exception of you want to like keep applying soap Mm -hmm. every 20 minutes, but it's awesome. We were super pumped about that. And we found a winner and it's spoonful of speech. Such a cute name. And I just have a first name, which is Rachel, which we (laughs) love her already. (laughs) Yeah, it's Rachel. (laughs) I'm a little biased, but I like your name. Um, So reach out to us, please. And we will get you your mask very soon. Thank you so much for all of you that entered. And we have tons of giveaways coming up too. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that for sure. I guess that wraps up our episode. Are we done already? Yeah, I know. I think it was actually kind of a long one. (laughs) 
So if you made it to the end, thank you. <laughs> well, yes. Thank you so much. Um, as always, you can find me, Rachel on Instagram at super sweet speech. And if you or anyone, you know, is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speech is super sweet at gmail.com. You can also follow uh, the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. Don't forget to check out our website with all of the links after each episode, which is letstalkaboutspeech.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to us. Thank you. <laughs> and you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in Virginia or Ohio is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast. Let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. So email us with questions, suggestions. If you have somebody or you want to be on the podcast, please let us know. We love interviews and we love learning from you guys. As always, thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys and we will hear from you soon. Thanks.